Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say thank you for joining us. Can we welcome our online family tuning in online? Thank you for joining us wherever you're at. Fred, thanks for sharing. Um, I've known Fred for quite some time. In fact, I met Fred, uh, I might have been 18 years old and, and I had blonde hair when I, when I met. And I went by Jake. And so uh, a lot of the first priority people call me Jake. <laughs> Jake who? And that's just, I wanted to change my name, my identity, my hair. I wasn't going too crazy. I just wanted to just wanted to go blonde. But first priority was some of the very first um, times that I ever got an opportunity to teach. I hadn't really taught before. I did a lot of music. Some of you know a little bit of my story. I grew up playing a lot of music, but I didn't really have a desire to teach. But I got involved at a first priority club at Nova Middle, just down the street. And at that time, every week I was having to put little messages together. And thank God I had a, an incredible youth pastor, uh, named JW, who was a part of first priority, who helped me put messages together. In fact, I used to just teach what he taught on Wednesday night. I'm like, can I just have your notes and then I'll just teach it? And then I started, to, I started that's how I started in teaching the middle school students. Little did I know God would have me doing this. And so I'm very grateful for First Priority. Um, my brother got to be involved. My other brother got to be involved. And man, First Priority is doing great things in, in elementary schools, middle school, high school. I know a lot of our homeschool ministries, they already have a lot of that stuff. In fact, some of our homeschool groups that meet here do chapels every Tuesday and Thursday, but in the public school system, they don't have a lot of that. So if you're a teacher here today or you're part of a faculty and your school does not have a first priority club, you can make it happen. You can make it happen this week. In fact, I know my dad mentioned something about college campuses. Um, Chris Lane, who's another founder of First Priority, sent me an email last week and said, hey, I wanna connect you with a guy who's doing what First Priority does in high schools middle schools they're doing it in college campuses and so I gotta pray for me because I got a zoom call this week about how we as a church could step in and start being involved in the college campuses with sharing the gospel so come on that's it and for all the moms out there that are sad that their kids are now in school and I'm, my wife's sad my son's in kindergarten now and it's just you know I'm gonna miss him I'm like man get, get him get him in school let's go um, get him in, get him out of the house, you know, help him uh, learn and grow. And uh, I'm very grateful. Hey, by the way, it's a great day to live in South Florida because God somehow is giving us favor um, with our sports teams down here in South Florida. I don't know if you know, but Dolphins won the preseason game yesterday. Inter-Miami took the Leagues Cup last night. Come on, can somebody give God a shout of praise? Thank you, God. We're just praying for the Miami Marlins, Lord, and the Miami Heat this year, Father. We pray. Um, if you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 12. We are going to conclude our study through Hebrews. Has this been good for anybody walking through pretty much verse by verse through this? It's been great for me. It's great for my dad to just kind of walk, walk through this. And I got to just kind of disclaimer up front. I'm not going to get to the end of this. And so you're going to have some homework to read on your own. But um, if I could take you back to the very beginning of Hebrews, the writer is addressing these Jewish people who were part of Judaism and then experienced the Messiah, they left Judaism and then they stepped into this newfound faith. It's beautiful. But like many of us who step in this newfound faith, immediately we start experiencing persecution. 
People don't like us. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop listening to that music. You can't wear that shirt. And it's just like, well, God, I thought I could serve you and, and that nobody would hate me, but that not a promise in the Bible. People are gonna hate you, they don't like you. And so the Jewish people were all of a sudden experiencing persecution thinking, well, it was better for me to be over there back where I was than now start following Jesus. And the writer's saying, come on, keep going. The problem is, is you've been living by sight, not by faith. You gotta start living by, somebody say faith. Faith, not by sight. If you live based upon what you see, then what you see will always discourage you. If you live based upon how you feel, your feelings will always mislead you. And so you gotta live by faith. And because you live by faith, that faith is gonna be better than anything else that you could have seen. And now he introduces Jesus. Gonna remind you what Jesus did for you, this Messiah, he's better than, than the, those who spoke before him. He's better than, and he, he lists from chapters one to, to uh, 11, he goes through Moses, he's better than Moses, he's better than Joshua, he's better than the priesthood, he's, he's got a better sacrifice, he's got a, he's got a better temple. In fact, all those who have lived by faith for all those years, you're not looking back to them, but you're looking forward to Jesus, so he's better. And this is where we get to chapter 12, when he says, let's run. Let's run the race. You, you wanna run fast? Run alone. But you wanna run far and you wanna finish? Run, run together with people. Run together with the church. And so we get to chapter 12, verse four, and I'm gonna pick, pick up from verse four and read it. a few passages. This is chapter 12, verse four. He says, in your struggle against sin, how, how many of you know this a struggle against sin? It's gonna be there for the rest of your life. You don't have to lose to it though. You can struggle with it. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus. So I know you're experiencing all this persecution and you're complaining a lot and you're saying, why is God doing this to me? But you can't, you can't even um, understand what true suffering is because of what my son Jesus did is what God is saying. Here. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. It says here, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he what? loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now discipline isn't something that maybe you wanted to hear about. You showed up church today. You know, in fact, I go back when I was talking with a group of my friends and we were all talking about this years ago about how we were spanked as a, as a child. And, and these might trigger some of you, but if I pulled up a sandal, some of you are like, that was my abuela who would always, you know, whack me whenever she could. In fact, they wouldn't just spank me with it but because they couldn't reach me because I was so fast. They'd throw it at me, you know. Um, if I held up a wooden spoon, some of you, you know, you, you can relate to the wooden spoon. If, you know, when dad starts unbuckling his belt and then, you know, pulls it off, you know, you know what's happening. And maybe it's the hand. And we had this uh, closet door and it had these wooden little things all across it. And that was my paddle and that was what I got spanked with was this thing on this wall that my dad would use and he called it Mr. Kaboom I, I shared that with you Mr. Kaboom is how I got spanked now you think about God and you think about who he is as our father can I tell you discipline is all throughout scripture and it's actually making you more like Jesus it's necessary for you tell the person next to you it's necessary for even you and then the person next to you, definitely them as well. It's definitely necessary for them. And if you're a, if you're a parent in here and your, your kid's next to you, you're raising up their hand. Def, for them, God, please, for them. 
but it's such a valuable part of our faith and our relationship with God. In fact, I wanna to talk to you today if you're taking notes on the God of discipline, okay? We're concluding Hebrews 12 and I've titled this morning's message, The God of Discipline. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, we love you. You're so great. We thank you for all the teachers and faculty in this room, all the students, middle school, high school, college, those who are online, Lord. We thank you for all of them, God. Would you give them a passion inside of them to be bold about their faith, about who, who they are in you. I pray that they wouldn't compromise as they start stepping into these classes, getting around these different types of people, people who are far from you. God, I pray that they don't compromise, but they stay true to the faith that they've held on to for many, many years. Give parents the assurance, God, that they are still in your hand and you are still in control. I thank you for clubs like First Priority, Father. You, you, your favor would be upon them. And as they've shared over the past 10,000 years, almost or 10 years, almost 15,000 people have been saved. God, I pray for another 15,000 to be saved in the next 10 years. More than that, Father. People coming to you. But one of the most hard things to understand about you can be the fact that you discipline. And so I pray today, everyone in this room, everyone watching online will receive this well. This would be an encouragement to us. We belong to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen, amen, amen. You know, it's, uh, it's easy to get up here and talk about the God of love. You know, the God of encouragement. The God of, we hear all about these things, the God of grace, that we love the God of forgiveness. Anybody love the God of mercy? Come on, what about the God of thunder? That's, that's wrong book. Um, and I'm not saying that there are multiple gods. These are just attributes of God. And so when I think about the the God of discipline, and I think about perhaps maybe the Old Testament, and we talk a lot about the wrath of God, and, you know, it's like, thank God that we don't serve that same God anymore, but I'd stop you there and say we do serve the same God of the Old Testament that we read about in the New Testament, the same God that we serve today. It's the same God. He disciplined then, he disciplined in the New Testament, and he still disciplines us now. But it's not our favorite thing to talk about, nor is it our favorite thing to sing about. In fact, I looked for a worship song about God's discipline, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find one single song that we would get up on stage and sing about God's discipline. And so I think about some songs and I've kind of changed some of the words. So here, here, here we go, ready? Waymaker, heavenly spanker, discipline giver, that is who you are, you know? Or thank you, Jesus, for the rod you give, right? Thank you, Jesus, for I have sinned. You know, we don't, I mean, we don't sing these songs. We'd rather sing about his goodness and his grace and his mercy. But Proverbs 12:1 says, whoever loves discipline loves what? Knowledge. But whoever hates correction is, you have permission to say it in church? So as we conclude our series on Hebrews, let's talk about the God of discipline. Now, we don't like that word. Of course, we don't want to sing it. We don't like it. And I think the problem in our psyche, we've often associated the word discipline with punishments. We've intertwined them together. Johnny misbehaved, so we punish him. We discipline him. But those, those two words are very different. Discipline means instruction, means chastening is a great word for it. it. It's training that's bringing correction. It's training that's molding us. It's refining us. When we're disciplined, there is much for us to learn, which we'll discuss but now you talk about punishment. Punishment is paying the penalty for a wrong committed. 
Punishment is something that, uh, that we definitely don't want to be a part of because it's severe, it's rough, it's disastrous. We don't, maybe we don't learn too much from punishment. Every time I get a ticket, uh, the, the cop's like, pay it. I'm like, you're punishing me. Can I, can I take a class to not pay it? Can I learn to be a better driver? Can I learn to drive slower? Like, that would be discipline. But yet, a ticket here is being punished. Now, if you're a believer here today, can I tell you and remind you that God is not punishing you? God is no longer punishing you. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you no longer are gaining or getting or receiving the punishment that you were supposed to get. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So because I've accepted Jesus, I believe in Jesus, therefore I don't deserve or I don't gain that punishment that I did deserve because he gave it to his son. And so I'm not talking about a God of punishment. I'm talking about the God of discipline. Let me just preface this by saying if that word even triggers you because you think about God being a father who disciplines his children and you've had a very bad example growing up. You've had a horrible father who was an alcoholic. You've had a mother who was a drug addict and they abused you. They beat you. They sexually assaulted you. You sit here and think it's going to be impossible for me to receive this. Can I, can I remind you a couple things? There's no excuse for abusive and violent behavior. You can't justify that. If you are in Christ, Romans 8, 14 says, the same spirit you received no longer makes you a slave. Thus you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And because now you're, you have a heavenly father who loves you, he wants to mold you. He, and he does it through discipline. And by the way, his, his discipline isn't abusive. There's no error in his discipline. And if, you've been, if you believe that, you've been lied to. He heals the brokenhearted. He says he binds your wound, it says in Psalms. If you have wounds, if you've been abused, you can come to the altar and the scripture says that he binds your wounds. All the trauma you have, he says, I'll take your trauma. I'm near to the brokenhearted. And so if that is you today, I want you to look at a different lens, not through the lens of how you've been raised or how you've been treated, but a lens of what the Bible says about God and what the Bible says about discipline. So I want to ask a simple question and give you a few answers. Why does he discipline? Look at verse 5, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he what? Loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Now, if your Bible's like mine, they're, they're, it's indented right here starting in verse 5 because he's quoting Solomon from Proverbs chapter 3, 11 to 12. Solomon's writing to his son, trying to bring some encouragement to his kids when they face hardship, when they face trials. Now, it's interesting to note, as you look at the whole book of Hebrews, every single chapter except one goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to a truth of the Old Testament, a promise of the Old Testament, a consequence of disobedience. He brings it back in every single chapter except chapter 9, which talks about the tabernacle. So essentially it brings a lot about of the Old Testament. But every single chapter, he brings them back to a truth or a promise that they needed to hear because they forgot what they once heard. You remember the warnings the writer of Hebrews says. He says, don't don't drift from the word of God, because if you drift from the word of God, you'll become dull of hearing from the word of God. And this is why he says in chapter 5, he says, I have much to say to you, but I can't tell you because you forgot. And you're not trying to understand. You know one of the sad consequences 
the tragic consequences of drifting from the word of God is becoming dull of the word of God. And when you face a hardship or a trial, you forget about the word of God. If you've removed yourself so far from the word of God, and now all of a sudden you experience persecution, you experience a trial, you experience a death in the family, you can't remember the songs you used to sing that got you through it. You don't remember the scriptures that you, used to, that you had memorized because you haven't been in it. You've drifted so far. What do you hold on to? What helps bring you back? Don't drift so far that you become dull of it, that you forget about it. And this is why the writer says, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep telling you. I gotta, I gotta keep encouraging you. I gotta keep bringing you back, just like a parent, over and over again. Sometimes it's exhausting, parents, isn't it? Telling your kids the same things over and over and over. Don't give up. Don't stop. Because if you stop, somebody else is gonna come along and give them a different set of rules. But one day when they get old, they'll remember what mom and dad said. One day when they're far, they'll remember what mom said. They'll remember what dad said. And so parents don't give up because he goes back and he says, I got to tell you again. If you look at verse 5, you've forgotten this word of encouragement. And so I've got to bring it right back to you. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines because he loves. Why does God discipline? Here's the first thing. Because he loves you. Somebody say, God loves me. Speaking to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.19, he says, those who he loves, he rebukes and he disciplines. So not only does he, have, does he express a sharp disapproval of our sin and our disobedience, but he says, I have to discipline you because of that disobedience. And I discipline you because I love you. Like a father loves his kids. I discipline because I love. Now, I remember when my dad tried to use that on me when I was little. Every time, every time, a lot of the times that I would be in my room because I would say something stupid to mom or get in trouble at school, dad would come in. He'd say, I can't believe you did that. And then he would always say the same thing. He said, I'm doing this. I'm spanking you because I love you. Anybody heard that lie before? Come on. Yeah. I'm spanking you because I love you. Now, was it true? Absolutely. Did I believe it? Absolutely not. Or was it necessary? Were there side effects from all those spankings? It's a true story. I had to uh, go, go to a doctor's and I got, I got uh, subscribed. I have a psychological condition of respect for others now because of that. So um, were, were there side effects? Yeah, good side effects, C certainly. Um, but, you know, you may be here today saying, I'll never do that. I never spank my kids. I love them way too much to hurt them. I love them way too much to lay a hand on them. I love them way too much to spank them, to discipline them. Let me ask you this. If my kids, I've got three if my kids disrespect my wife, their mom, if they lie to my face, if they do something stupid in school, what kind of father would I be if I never addressed it? What kind of father would I be? None of them I'd be the best father. Man, I could get away with murder because dad doesn't care. But what kind of father would I be? I would be a father who does not care. I would be a father who does not love my kids. I would be a father who isn't out for the well-being of my own child. I want them to be a better son. I want them to be a better daughter. I want them to be a better man. I want them to be a better woman. If I did not step into discipline, then I would say that I do not love my kids. Proverbs 29:15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. In other words, discipline imparts wisdom. If you have a spoiled child, 
then odds are you are an embarrassed parent. And this is why discipline imparts wisdom, because I care, I discipline not to inflict harm on my kids, not to bring them pain, not to bring them shame, but I do it because I love them. And my wife and I are constantly trying to help our kids through discipline, through correction. We're trying to help them become like the image of Christ that they are supposed to come and become. And that's what God does to you and I. He molds us. He shapes us to become more like Christ. In fact, I asked my wife last night, I said, Cheryl, um, you have any advice on discipline? And she said, yeah, help me. She's not about me and my wrongdoings. Give me some advice I can share to the church. She said, yeah, help me. And I'm like, I could preach that. Parents, make sure that not one of you is the only one doing the disciplining. Make sure this is a, a joint effort together. And you're disciplining the same way, by the way, not one of you is harsher than the other. And because if you don't, you know what that tells a child? This one's bad and this one's not. And eventually, they'll only run to the one that's not. If you're a single mother or single father in this house today, you're watching online and you don't have that co-parent, can you find somebody that can also speak into your kid's life? I'm not saying you gotta assign somebody the spanker, you know? Can you come and you have also the right to spank my child? But have somebody who can speak wisdom, who can gently bring correction. Make sure you find somebody. Do not do this alone. We discipline because we love. God disciplines because he loves. But not only that, he disciplines because you belong to him. You belong to him. Look at verse 7. It says, endure hardship as discipline. For God is treating you as his what? Children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it as, as a whole, how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Chastening is a sign that you are a son and a daughter of God. It is a sign that you belong to him. Again, if you had a horrible example, this might be hard to understand. You don't really want to be associated with that person anymore. Because how you've been abused. How can God love me like a father when my own father couldn't love me? How could God say, I'm going to be the parent you never had when the parents that I had had were horrible? They were awful. They abused me. They mistreated me. You know that statistics will say for kids like that who get out of that? Oftentimes you'll see, this is kind of a little sidebar, but you'll see women who have been abused by their father find themselves in relationships where they're constantly being abused. Over and over and over. In fact, then you have women who are abused by their mother. Mother longing for that intimacy from a woman now start to find relationships, intimate relationships with women. And it's the same with, with men. Men who don't have that father who's loving, always abusive, they're searching for that love in a man. They desire that father-like presence. And so as they get older, they search and they search. They didn't have it. They haven't found God and they, and they search and they search and eventually they find themselves being intimate with men because they're longing for that, that hug. They're longing for that love. They're longing for that, hey, come over here, I have you. You can be mine. They're longing for that. And so we have to be careful how we discipline and we have to point them to the one who does it right. Don't look through the lens of what you know. Look through the lens of what you for certainly 
No. And that is his word. It says, endure hardship. God is treating you like children in verse 7. He disciplines you because you are his son. He disciplines you because you are his daughter. If you weren't his daughter, he wouldn't discipline you. That's what the scripture says. Verse, verse 8, if you are not disciplined and everybody undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons and daughters. I am disciplined because I am his son. You might be disciplined because you are his son. But parents don't have any right to discipline kids that aren't theirs. I'm sure a lot of parents would like to discipline kids that aren't theirs, but they don't. But we'd sure love to, especially that neighbor next door. That parent has no idea what they're doing. Just, I, will, I just wish, God, can, can, I have, can you give me the grace and, 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 the, and the authority to spank a kid that is not mine? Some of you know the story of, of, my, of my life uh, years and years ago when I was about 14 years old. Me and my friends were riding rollerblades when, when it was cool. I think it's cool now. Anybody ride rollerblades still? Not, not, you know, whatever. It was a thing then. It stopped. Now it's a thing again, okay? But uh, we were riding rollerblades, and um, my, my neighbor, many of you know who JC is, uh, JC and his kids, uh, they were some of my best friends, and, and he had a rule that you couldn't ride rollerblades in the house. That makes sense. You can't skateboard in the house. You can't ride your bikes in the house. You can't rollerblades in the house. And so we put our rollerblades on, and it's not easy putting rollerblades on. I mean, it takes about 10 minutes to put them on. Now, we forgot that we had to get something in the room, and so we had to go back, and we didn't want to take them off. So me being the older one, I was like, hey, guys, we don't need to ride our rollerblades in the room. Let's crawl to the room in the house with our rollerblades on. And I'll, ne I'll never forget this scene. I'm in the hallway. I can, I can remember it. We're crawling on our knees with our rollerblades on, and we're like, <laughs> they'll never know. And we look up, and there is JC, six foot something, looking at us. And I'm like, we're dead. We are dead. And uh, his, his, uh, he brought us in the room and he spanked his son. And then he called my dad. And he said, Ron, do I have permission? Can you grant me the authority to spank your child? And my dad said, absolutely not. He didn't agree to that. He said, no, you, know, you can't. But if you did, I would have probably despise him for many, many years after, but he did, and he said, no, you can't, you can't do that, because you don't have permission to spank somebody else's son, and if you're not being spanked, that means you're not that son. If you're not being disciplined, then um, you're not his, but if you are, if you're experiencing discipline, that means you're God's, that you belong to him, that you're safe with him. The scripture says, endure that hardship. It means that he loves you. It means that he's adopted you. I love what Romans 8, 14 says. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. That spirit that lives within you has given you the title of son, has given you the title of daughter, and now I belong to him. Some of you think that, you know what, I, I really belong to this relationship, or I belong to that addiction, or I belong to that stronghold, or to be honest, I think I belong to the devil. But if you are in Christ, you belong to Christ. You belong to God. You don't belong to anything else. You belong to him, and you are his. Can anybody thank God for that this morning, that you are his? I don't belong to those things. I got a new spirit within me. I've been adopted by God. Just because I'm experiencing discipline doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. No, he loves me. He's called me his son. I've got a new nature about me. I've got a new attitude about me. I'm made new, but here's the thing. I'm still being made new. I'm still being made. When, when God steps into your life, 
you experience what's called salvation. But then there's something else that we experience called sanctification that I wish I didn't have to experience. Some of you wish that you accepted God and then he just struck you dead then so you don't have to go through all the hardship you have to go through. Just take me now, Lord. I don't want to experience all this. But all that we experience, something is actually happening. Something is taking place in your life. But I want you to know, be encouraged today, that you don't belong to anything else. You belong to God. Don't let anybody lie to you. Don't let anybody tell you differently. He disciplines you because he loves you, because you are his. But he also, here's the third one. He disciplines you because it's for your own good. This is the best one, okay? I saved the, I've saved the best for last. He disciplines you because it's for your own good. Uh, verse 10, chapter 12. It says, they, speaking about the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The, the, the trials, the hardships, the things, the persecutions that we experience, you have to think about the, the Jewish people who are here, who are watching probably one by one, their friends who stepped into the Messiah uh, are like, yeah, this, it was better when I was back there. And they're leaving and now they're, they're alone. And here they are in isolation thinking it'd be better for me to be back there. I don't want to experience hardship. I don't want to experience all this pain because it's painful. And it's lonely at times. And God, I thought you were a God of love. I thought you were a God of peace. But they didn't, they didn't realize that he was also a God of just who doesn't tolerate sin, who doesn't tolerate disobedience. And so now they're experiencing these things, whether from disobedience or whether just because God is putting a tragedy on their life or whether because of the sinful world they live in and they're thinking, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to experience this. How, how can I have joy in this? But you have to look, not what you're experiencing in the moment, but you got to look at what you get when you get out. You have to see the end of the tunnel. And it's hard to see because it may not be clear, but it's there. It's there. You have Paul, you have James, you have Peter that all talk about what hardships produce. It's creating a holiness in you. It's creating a fruitfulness in you. But it's painful. But suffering is painful. But hardship is painful. But that pain, listen church, that pain is producing a product of peace within you. Right here. It's producing something that you won't get if you didn't go through it. It's creating something within you. It's producing a peace. It's producing a holiness. It's producing a righteousness. I can have joy, not because I'm enjoying it, but because I know what I'll get when I get out of it. Anybody been there? You didn't see it when you were in it, but you saw it when you got out of it. And you said, I think, come on, somebody thank God. I thank God for what he put me through. I thank God for what I had to endure. And I couldn't do it alone. Thank God I had a church. Thank God I had a small group. But thank God I had Jesus living within me. I can have joy in the middle of the suffering because I know what it's producing. Yeah. Somebody say, I can have joy. Come on, I can have joy. So why do we complain? Why do we always grumble? Why do we always object anytime we face any difficulty and we say things like, God, you're abandoning me. God, you've left me. Can I ask you something? Aren't you better for it? Aren't you better from it? Aren't you better because of it? Haven't you learned more? Aren't you grateful now that the things you've obtained, the things you now know that you wouldn't have known 
Man, I didn't know what it meant to, to manage finances until I found myself in debt. I didn't know what it looked like to be a good parent until I realized how bad of a parent I was. I didn't know these things until I went through these things. And now, God, I'm grateful for these things. And I thank you for what you have shown me. And I thank you that I now can help people avoid the same mistakes that I made. You know, I remember when I was little and the first time I ever cussed and my mom was around. And uh, let me just say this. I'll never forget what a bar of soap tastes like. Never forget what a bar of soap tastes like. What do you think? Are you eating bar? Is that what your mom's feeding you? No, that's what she's shoving in my mouth when I cuss. A bar of soap. Not just like a little bit of soap, the whole entire bar. And then you got to leave it in your mouth for, you know, a couple hours until dad gets home. And then, you know, they just, whatever. So I'll never forget. It was the bar of soap. And it was this book that my mom used to make us read. Dad, you remember called Tame in the Tongue. It was a little yellow book. My mom made us all read it. If we were cussing, if we were saying things we should have said, saying inappropriate jokes, my mom would give us this book and we'd have to read this book. And I tell you, I'm so grateful for that book. I'm so grateful for that bar of soap. <laughs> I really am. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not who I was then anymore because of what I experienced. The discipline, although maybe nowadays that might look like abuse, uh, that discipline action then when I was little saved me from being somebody who had a foul mouth. It did, it saved me. I, I had to read this book every single year. My mom would give it to us, Taming the Tongue about how little words can cause big fires and little words can cause big actions. And constantly it was about our joking, about our mouth. And, and my mom was sitting there. Even, even, guys, even, even after I was out of the house, she was still encouraging me to make sure that I was speaking how God wanted me to speak. So I'm grateful for what I had to go through. Some of you are grateful for what you had to go through. This is why, as a believer, we have to know how to respond to discipline. How do you respond to discipline? How do you respond? Look at verse 12, Hebrews 12, verse 12. And I'm just reading this scripture, and then we'll be finished here short. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. And everybody over the age 40 said, Lord, send the strength to the knees. Amen. Come on. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. How do you respond when you're being disciplined? It's easy to throw ourselves in a corner. It's easy to get mad at our parents. It's easy to get angry at God. It's easy to mope around. It's easy just to sit here and complain and complain and complain and think that he's forgotten about you, think that he doesn't have a plan for you, think that, God, I thought you wanted me to prosper, you know, not be punished, God. It's easy to think about these things because we don't see what's at the end. And so like any good coach would say at halftime, come on, get on up, let's go. Get on up. Let's keep going. Let's keep running. We don't want to stop to complain. We don't want to stop to whine. Because the more you stop, the more you complain, the, more you, the further and further away you get from God, the more dull you become of hearing the word of God. Because all you do and all you can do is complain. And now you found yourself in a far, far place, so alone, thinking that God, has, God wants nothing to do with you. But meanwhile, you've forgotten that he was just trying to mold you. He was just trying to shape you, make you a better person, make you a better believer, make you a better Christian. That's what he does. He disciplines, he molds, he's creating in us something so that when hardship does show up, when trials do show up, we're not easily swayed. We're not pushed back and forth. We're not giving up like many wanted to do in the Jewish faith at this time. They wanted to give up. We're not going to give up. 
We're going to keep going. We're going to keep moving because God is going to turn your sorrow into a story one day. God is going to turn your test into a testimony one day. God is going to turn the mess that you're in. He's going to turn it into a message one day, and it's going to be for his glory. Amen. It's going to be for his glory. And so just be patient. Be patient. Your hardship is strengthening your endurance. You want to run this race fast? Then neglect discipline. But you want to run it far? Receive it. Come on, somebody say, God, I receive it. I receive your discipline. Blessed, Psalm 94 says, blessed is the one who you discipline. Lord, the one you teach from your law, you grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people and he will never forsake his inheritance. God disciplines you because he loves you. God disciplines you because he's adopted you. God disciplines you because it's for your own good. And so God, I receive that today. God, I, I worship the God of discipline today. God, I want to be better. God, I want to run longer. I receive it because I know like a child who is foolish needs it. I need it, Lord. Do I want it? No. But am I better because of it? Yes. Will my kids be better because of it? I pray. I hope and pray. Were you better because of it? Yes. Did I always like it? No. Was it painful? Yes. But the scripture says endure through that. Endure through the hardship because of what it's producing of how it's molding you, it's creating you to be something that God is wanting you to be. I want to close with a few things. This may have been something I could have set up at the front, but I saved it to the end. You know, when we think about discipline, it's easy to, to kind of look around and say, God, um, why are you punishing me? God, why are you punishing me? God, why are you punishing me? But let me quote to you what a pastor by the name of Gary Hamrick said. He said, God's discipline is his response to our disobedience. But not every tragedy, difficulty, or trial is necessarily God's discipline. Not every tragedy, not every difficulty, not every trial is necessarily God's discipline. Just because you're going through something does not mean that God is out to punish you or out to get you. No, you don't understand. My father died. My mother died. God is punishing me. My child has been given a disease. God is punishing me. What did I do to deserve this? God isn't necessarily punishing you or disciplining you in every single scenario. But what we do know is that his discipline is connected to our disobedience. Because there are plenty of times, church, where I'm like, I, I know that I'm being disciplined because of my disobedience, right? I clearly know that God is disciplining me because I was disobedient. Like, that's clear. There are other times where I'm not really sure. There are times in Scripture that we really are certain that God is bringing discipline because that discipline has been connected to disobedience. Think about David. What did David do? He saw a woman. He got her pregnant. Well, she was married. To hide it, he killed her husband. God killed his son. And God would discipline David by giving him a household where there was chaos 24-7. Now, God would redeem that, and he would give him somebody by the name of Solomon, but David was disciplined for his disobedience. What about Jonah? Jonah and the big fish. God called Jonah to go where? To Nineveh. 
Jonah's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't even like those people in Nineveh. God said, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh because I need you to preach revival to the streets in Nineveh. What did Jonah do? Jonah said, no, I'm going my own way. He heads the opposite direction. He gets on a boat. And what happens on the boat? Waves and wind. The boat's about to capsize. The people are saying, God is punishing us. We are all going to die. And Jonah's like, hold, hold up, hold up. God is punishing me. He's not punishing all you. You know, it'd be better for you guys just to throw me overboard so God will spare you. And that's what they did. They just threw the, they chucked him overboard and he got swallowed by a fish. And so we find all throughout scripture that there is there is discipline that is directed because of, of disobedience or connected to disobedience, but not everything that you go through is God disciplining you, not everything. Perhaps it's because we're in a fallen world. Thought about that? What is God up to? God's surely doing something to, to these people. No, we just live in a sinful world. If we didn't live in a sinful world, if there wasn't tragedy everywhere, then we would not need rescuing. And so God is coming to rescue us. But don't think that everything that you're walking through, everything that you're experiencing is because God is out to get you. Instead, when you're walking through something, when you're experiencing tragedy, when you're experiencing death, rather than point the finger at God and say, how dare you? You say, God, one day, I know that I am going to live in, in a place where there is no more pain, where there is no more death, where there is no more sorrow, where there are no more tears. God, I look forward to that day. Anybody look forward to that day? God, I look forward to that day. So instead of saying, God, why are you doing this to me? I say, God, I can't wait for this never to happen again. But God, what are you working in me? What are you working in me? What do you want me to know? If I'm experiencing hardship, I always ask that question. God, what do you want me to know? That's a hard question to ask. It's a better question to give advice to when somebody's going through something, right? It's not about what you're experiencing, but what is God revealing through it? But now you put yourself in a situation and you're like, God, what are you showing me? What are you showing me, God? What, 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 what are you teaching me? And you may not find the answers right away. He wants to see your faithfulness. But perhaps he just wants to sharpen you. He wants to shape you. He wants you to be a better father. He wants you to be a better, better mother. He wants you to be a better son or daughter. He wants you to be a better parent. He wants you to be a better boss. And so he shapes us and he molds us and he disciplines us. And it's painful, God, but it's producing something. I don't like it, God, but it's producing something. I don't want it, God, but you need it. You need it. And trust me, you will be grateful for it. And what the enemy used for evil, God turns around and uses it for good. Even the things that we found ourselves in with disobedience, God can turn it for good. Amen. And so be encouraged today if you're experiencing discipline. If you haven't experienced discipline, maybe it's time to step out in faith and watch what God begins to do in you. If you haven't experienced discipline, maybe you're, maybe you're on a righteous path. Maybe you're, you're, you're abandoning all the disobedience. And so I keep going, keep running. But know that God loves you. Know that he has adopted you. Know that he, he, this is what's best for you. And in the end of the days, when we breathe our last breath and we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus, it would be all worth it, right? It would be all worth it. I thank God for that discipline. I, I want to conclude with just a couple things here. If you kind of read the rest of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13, there's, there's so much that's said. It's almost as if this last kind of half a chapter and chapter 13 
It's like if you ever babysitted somebody and the, and the parents are like, take my kid and they give you a bunch of things that you need to do. But then they, they walk out the door and they're like, oh wait, hold on. Um, do that, don't do that, don't go there, don't touch that, don't let them watch that. And they, they rattle off like a few things. This is as if the writer here is like rattling off a few things. And he says, starting from verse 14 and on, he, he, he shares things about like loving people. Make sure you live at peace with everybody. Make sure you keep the marriage bed pure. Don't be obsessed with money. Watch out for strange teachings. Don't forget to praise God. Obey those in authority. And oh yeah, remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So your homework is now to dive deeper into all those things, right? I just listed off like eight of those. So, so dive deeper into those, starting from verse 14 all the way to the end. But I love what, what chapter uh, 13, verse 22 says. This is in, in, in my NIV translation. It says, brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my words of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I think that's just a little humorous right there. <laughs> this is 13 chapters. We've been in this for quite some weeks. And Paul's, uh, the writer, maybe Paul, is like, i just written you a short letter. I could, have, I could have expanded on a lot more. I could have gone into greater detail, but I, I left it brief. And I'm like, really? You, you left it brief? There's, there's a whole lot here. But here's my conclusion to Hebrews. If you're here today and you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts because you're not promised tomorrow. And one day, you may breathe your last breath and you never got a chance. You never stepped in, you never received, and you will pay an account for that. You'll have to give an account. So all of Hebrews, if I could sum it up today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, but listen. Don't harden your hearts, but listen. Today, if you're a believer, receive the encouragement. Receive the discipline. Re re receive it because it's making you better. Don't harden your hearts. Don't anytime God starts to shape you or mold you, you run the other way. You abandon the faith. Step into it. Receive it. Ask a lot of questions. Pray fast. Do what you have to do. But the solution is not leaving. The solution is not running. In fact, we're singing about running. And we're not singing about running the opposite way. We're singing about running to the arms of our Heavenly Father. That's who He's wanting you to run to. And so when my kids are, it's, it's funny, because my kids will do something and we'll discipline them and then moments later they come running back and they hug us. And I'm like, this is like a child. Who their, their father who disciplines them, they run right back to. And they say, I love you. That's a picture of God as He disciplines His children. We run right back to him. We say, God, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Father, all across this room, Lord, we just praise you. We worship you. And we're so thankful for who you are. And this isn't always an easy message to receive, but God, it's a message that we need. I thank you that you mold me. I thank you that you shape me. I thank you that, God, I can receive your discipline in an attitude knowing that I'm going to be better from it, better because of it. So I receive it today. If you receive his discipline, I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Come on, if you're thankful for his discipline, come on all across this room. Would you stand? Say, God, I thank you. Would you just, just worship him in this moment? Say, God, I thank you. God, I worship you. I worship you, Father. I worship you, Father. Come on, I don't have to fear anymore, but I worship you. I'm not enslaved anymore, and so I worship you, God. 
come on, I worship you because you, because you said that I am yours. I worship you because you said I'm your son. I worship you because you said I'm your daughter. I worship you, Father. I praise you because you are my Father. You are my God. And your word says that I am your child. And so I don't have to fear anymore, God. I don't have to fear of tragedy anymore. It's gonna take me out because I'm your son. I don't have to fear anymore. I'm no longer inbound to my sin. I'm no longer enslaved to my fear, God. But I worship you because you are my God. Come on, I'm no longer. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.